is Terry Waldo. The program is This is Ragtime, and this is the fifth program in our series. And we've got a lot of great music for you today. We'll be doing a tribute to Leon Redbone. This is actually part two of our tributes. We did five of his numbers that I played or wrote last program. And I went back and went through all the albums that I played on with him. And boy, there was a bunch of them. I'm, I'm on seven albums of his. Uh, there's about 28 songs that I participated in one way or another. And so I thought we would do part two of a tribute to the great Leon Redbone. And we'll also be having number five of my original series of This is Ragtime, which played on NPR about 1972 for a couple of years. And we'll start out with another track from our new album coming out hopefully this fall, although with the pandemic we may have to put that off a while. The album is called I Double Dare You, and it features Tatiana Eva Marie and the great Gotham City Band with Mike Davis on trumpet, Jim Fryer on trombone, Ricky Alexander on clarinet and sax, Nick Russo on guitar and banjo, Jay Lepley on drums, and Brian Nalepka on string bass. We're really looking forward to getting this album out. I know you're going to like it. So here is one tune from that album, which will be released by Turtle Bay Records, which is owned by Scott Asen. And this is a tune called Be Sweet to Me, which dates back to about 1928. It was actually written by Lee Morris, who was a great singer of the 20s. So here it is, Be Sweet to Me. long, long way. A little consolation brightens up each day. Though there are times we disagree, I know how sweet, dear, you can be. We may spat, but what of that? Everyone does, you see, so won't you please sweet to me, just as sweet as can be. And I will be sweet to you. What if we Our dreams all come true When skies are cold and gray Just a little kiss or two Brings about a little bluebird And the sun comes peeping through So be sweet to be Just as sweet as can be And I will be sweet to you
sweet to me, just as sweet as can be. And I will be sweet to you, Ooh, sweet little you. What if we quarrel, we'll make up and smile. Then watch our dreams all come true. Those skies are cold and gray, hear the birdies go tweet tweet. When it comes to being happy, why they got a system can't be actually started working with Leon Redbone about 1981. I was on an album called From Branch to Branch, and then I was on six more of his albums, and we're going to play, oh, maybe five selections from those albums. In looking at them, I noticed there's such a variety of styles, and I think the uh, tunes we picked out illustrates that very well. The first tune we're going to play is from his album called Red to Blue, and it's called Reaching for Someone and Not Finding Anyone There. And it features a popular trio called The Roaches, Maggie, Terry, and Suzzy. And Giampaolo Bayaji is playing drums on this. Vince Giordano is on string bass. And of course, I'm on the piano. Here is reaching for someone and not finding anyone there. I'm just a bubble of trouble and care. Very fond of bedding, but I'm getting nowhere. Reaching for someone and not finding anyone there. No sweet romance to answer my prayer. Always building castles that nobody will share Reaching for someone and not finding anyone there Not finding anyone there Is there a June honeymoon? Is there a tune lover's croon? Is there a day coming soon When I'll find someone somewhere Who wouldn't worry, who wouldn't swear Heaven is a haters when you're up in the air Reaching for someone and not finding anyone there are from the same album from Red to Blue which was released in 1985 
and they illustrate the different ways that Leon put together recording sessions and the different ways that it came out. We're first going to hear a tune called All You Salty Dog, which is based on Salty Dog, which was a real old tune, uh, and it features Vince Giordano on drums and bass sax, so he overdubbed those two, and Eddie Davis plays tenor guitar on this. We featured him on our first program, if you'll recall, and we've got Scott Black on coronet, Bobby Gordon on clarinet, and Big Johnny Dong on tuba. I'm playing piano. This was a good example of the way that we would sort of layer instruments. Leon laid down his track with the guitar and vocals, and then uh, everybody else came in and played along with it and then added whatever they wanted. And it has that wild quality that Leon got on some of his, his records. So it will be followed by a tune called Border of the Quarter, which was written by Owen Davis, and it was a, a new song at the time that this was recorded. And you'll notice that it's arranged by Peter Eklund, and so it has a different quality about it. It's not like everybody came in and just layered whatever they want to on top of each track. It has an arranged quality about it. It has Peter Eklund on trumpet. Howard Alden plays guitar and banjo. Arnie Kinsella is on drums. Chuck Wilson, clarinet. We also featured him on an earlier program. Joel Helaney, a wonderful trombone player. And Vince Giordano is on tuba. And, of course, I'm on piano. So we'll hear the two cuts, and you can hear the difference in the the style of recording and the, the different qualities that you get at that way. First, Oh, You Salty Dog, followed by Border of the Quarter. Hey, but the one thing that 
Sugar came out in 1990, I believe, and the tune we're going to hear is called What You Want Me to Do, and this was a tune by King Oliver, King Oliver of King Oliver Band that had Louis Armstrong, and this was recorded by King Oliver about 1928, and on this version, which feature a great trombone solo by Dan Barrett, 
Cindy Cash dollar is on dobro, so it has a country feel to it. Frank Vignola is on guitar, and of course I'm on the piano. Beautiful tune, What You Want Me To Do. tune is also taken from the Sugar album, and it's called Right or Wrong, which came out in 1921. The original Dixieland Jazz Band actually recorded this, but I think Leon was more influenced by a recording by Emmett Miller, who was a minstrel man, actually. He made some recordings in the 20s with some pretty good jazz musicians from New York, and Leon spent a lot of his time trying to gather artifacts, and find out whatever he could about Emmett Miller. We would stop in small towns on the road and follow up any leads that he happened to gather. He had a big poster of Emmett Miller in his house. It's a great old tune. This features Brian Nalepka on bass, Arnie Kinsella is on drums, Frank Vignola is on guitar, Dan Barrett on trombone, Peter Eklund on trumpet, and Ken Poplowski on clarinet. 
Maybe I am right, maybe I am wrong But someone else makes love to you Don't blame me for feeling blue Do you pass me by? I don't know just why I can't get you off my mind No matter how I try Right or wrong I'll always love you Though you gone I can't forget Right or wrong I'll keep on dreaming Till I wake with the same All regret All alone I thought I'd lose you Till I pray that you'd be true Oh, Lord, in your heart Please just remember That along I'm still in love with you song called A Dreamer's Holiday, and this was actually a popular hit by Perry Como about 1949. So you can see with all of this how Leon draws from so many sources for his material, some country and western, some popular music, some 20s, some jazz, and his musicians that accompany him are from all different sources. This is a tune that also features the Manhattan Rhythm Kings, which was Brian Nalepka's trio that played on Broadway, actually. Giampaolo Biaggi is on drums, and Ken Poplowski is on clarinet, and of course I'm playing piano. I'm aboard a butterfly and take off on the breeze Let your worries flutter by and do the things you please In a land where dollar bills are falling off the trees On a dreamer's holiday Every day for breakfast there's a dish of scrambled stars And for luncheon you'll be munching rainbow candy bars You'll be living a la mode on Jupiter or Mars 
on a dreamer's holiday. Make it a long vacation. Time there is plenty of. You need no reservation. Just bring along the one you love. Help yourself to happiness and sprinkle it with mud. Close your eyes and concentrate and dream for all your worth. You will feel terrific when you get back down to earth from a dreamer's holiday. Holiday from Leon Redbode's album, A Lazy River, from 1992. Now we're going to play program number five for my original series, This Is Ragtime, from 1972. Hope you enjoy it. This is Ragtime. I'm Terry Waldo, and this is the third program in our series that we're devoting exclusively to the music of Scott Joplin. And today we'll hear excerpts from and have a discussion of Joplin's folk opera, Tremonitia. In previous programs, we've seen how Joplin became the originator and acknowledged master of classic ragtime piano. In later years, however, Joplin became more increasingly absorbed with the idea of producing an opera an opera that would contain not only his music, but also his thoughts as a black man, and his belief in education as the hope for the future of the Afro-American, a view later shared by Martin Luther King. Treeman Issue was copyrighted in 1911 and published at Joplin's own expense, but was never performed with anything approaching a full staging. This was, however, the second opera that Joplin had composed. He copyrighted a ragtime opera called A Guest of Honor in 1903, and there are indications that he had a touring company that performed this opera. A guest of honor, unfortunately, has been lost, and only the title page is now known to exist. 
Tremonitia did not receive its first full performance until 1972. On January 29th of that year, it was given its world premiere in Atlanta, Georgia. National Public Radio recorded the second night performance for broadcast. Here's the overture, which contains many of the themes from the opera.
The setting for Tremonitia is a plantation in the rural south some 18 years after the Civil War. The white owners have left, and the land is inhabited by the former slaves. They're divided into two groups, those who have taken up farming the land and those who have taken to the woods and taken up conjuring and the life of superstition. The opera has no hero, but rather an 18-year-old heroine, Tremonitia, who was found under a symbolic tree of learning. She was given an education by her foster parents and pleads the case for liberation for the black man through education. She's also a good spokesman for the woman's liberation as she becomes the leader of her people at the end of the opera. The music from the opera is not only ragtime, but a combination of the various types of folk and classical music that Joplin was exposed to. And of course, the musical invention of Joplin himself. Robert Shaw, the conductor of this first performance, comments. The thing that's startling about um, Tremonitia and about Scott Joplin's invention, sheer invention of operatic style, is that one can find uh, a few measures that, that sound like, um, uh, uh, like any one of, of the great Italian composers or certain Russian opera composers, you know. But uh, when one realizes that he simply was not exposed to this thing, it's shocking to, to, to feel the face of originality before you realize that it does have sort of elements of uh, sophistication that have existed in, in, in other composers, but to which he simply, simply had no access at all. And I think that the incredible thing about it, and, and which makes it so difficult to perform, is that it is so elusively original. I wonder what would happen with the, the thing if it were done on Broadway, because I've done a bunch of Broadway shows with Oscar Hammerstein and Billy Rose and, and others and, and Carmen Jones and things like that. And if somehow the elements of whatever musical comedy has been for the past 30 or 40 years, uh, some of those elements would, would, would be layered on top of this, either in orchestrations or in dance routines or in something like that. And uh, while it might be good show business, I think it might miss Joplin. And I think the, the things that T.J. Anderson have brought and, and Dr. Whalem, and, uh, who's, who's, who's trained all the chorus and the cast and selected the cast and stuff, and, and Catherine Dunham, is, is, is an enormous uh, sense of, of purity and sort of folklorico delight, which somehow keeps this, this primitive, native originality alive. And this is, the, this is the real blessing that the piece offers. It's so difficult for any of us to, to even recognize the face of a, of, a, of a creator, an original man, when, when we see one. And now, and one feels this way about, I think, about Carl Sandburg somehow. And one feels certainly this way about Abraham Lincoln. You suddenly realize that you're meeting an absolutely unique, original man who just was himself. And, and if, if it isn't sophisticated, you know, too bad for the world. <laughs> 
The overture we heard sounds very melancholy and serious, and I suppose Joplin could be accused of being too strongly influenced by the dramatic European composers. The overture is full of ominous-sounding minor and diminished chord progressions. However, the other music in the opera is more typical Joplin. There has as yet been no complete performance with full orchestration released on commercial recordings. However, some years ago, Ann Charters arranged for some recordings of excerpts from the opera by the Utah State University Chorus with piano accompaniment. We're going to listen to one of those cuts from that recording. Here's the joyous We're Going Around from the first act of Tremonitia. orchestration for the first performance of Tremonitia was done by T.J. Anderson. Mr. Anderson, himself a black composer, has been the artist-in-residence with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. I got interested in the opera through a 
pulled a friend of mine named Bill Botham. He's recorded some of the rags. He was at Yale at the time. Uh, after we edited the work, uh, I explored it. The idea for scoring it and the probable instrumentation came from Rudy Blesch, whose book, uh, They All Played Ragtime, is really the uh, authorities on that period, and so we felt, felt pretty confident in terms of the choice of instruments. The Joplin Opera itself is fascinating, first because it's the first folk opera ever written in, in this country. It's interesting that the uh, major operas in this country that were written here all deal with black life. The Delius Opera, Gershwin Opera, and, and the Joplin Opera, all are rooted in black culture. I think that's, that's very interesting. One of the things that I found most fascinating about uh, the Joplin Opera, Trumanisha, is its relationship to compositional problems. Joplin wrote the libretto, uh, and, I, and I immediately started comparing the Joplin Opera with the uh, uh, Moses and Aaron uh, Schoenberg Opera. In, in the Joplin score, Joplin has dance steps written in the score. This is a slow drag, and he tells you what to do, the left foot slides and the right foot glides. And, I mean, all of this is written down in, in, in the score. And of course, Moses and Aaron is, is, uh, uh, does the same thing, uh, where Schoenberg wrote in dance steps in the score. And uh, of course, Joplin was years ahead of this. Uh, also in the Joplin work, there's a system of notation for uh, a cross between speaking and singing, and of course, Schoenberg develops practice. So that, I mean, that there are many similarities in terms of involvement. Joplin was, was uh, uh, famous as a ragtime composer, and we know very little about his training. He, there was a, a George Smith College which was sponsored, the Negroes, which was sponsored by the Methodist Church in Sedalia, Missouri, that he got his training. And, and we have reason to believe that there were German teachers there that gave him a vague <coughs> concept of opera. And uh, uh, from this, he developed this concept of what an opera should be. The opera is very much related to Monteverdi in that it's very direct, and the chorus functions in a practical manner. And uh, uh, the balance between duets and the ensemble relationship is a very delicate and sensitive thing. One of the things I also found fascinating about the Joplin Opera is that if you read in most books, there's usually a sentence, a composer of, of a ragtime opera was Scott Joplin, period. That would be it. The reducing of Joplin to one sentence like that, I mean, is, is most tragic. Uh, the tragedy is that, is that his contribution has been lost to, to many generations. The prelude to the third act of Tremonitia is an interesting piece of music on its own. It's perhaps the only part that sounds something like Joplin's piano rags. Here it is played as a piano solo from the Charters recording.
last years of Scott Joplin's life were indeed tragic. He was continually frustrated in his attempt to have his opera performed. In 1915, a single performance was given in a Harlem Hall with no orchestration, lighting, or scenery, and Joplin playing the orchestral parts on piano. The musical drama was not received well by the Harlem audience that attended, and Joplin's hopes were destroyed forever. He never recovered from that disappointment. In his last years, he continued to make constant revisions in the opera, but syphilis brought on a continual deterioration in his physical coordination and at last complete mental breakdown. On April 1st, 1917, Joplin died in the Manhattan State Hospital. This was virtually the end of the ragtime era. But the music of Scott Joplin has finally been recognized over 50 years after his death. Now we hear the closing of the opera as performed in Atlanta. Tremonisha, played by Alpha Floyd, accepts her role as leader of her people, and the entire cast sings the triumphant doing the real slow drag.
Next week, we'll begin exploring Joplin's influence on other composers on This is Ragtime. This is Ragtime was produced, written, and narrated by Terry Waldo and directed by Jeff Mill. Audio engineer Bob Shermer. This program was produced at the Ohio University Telecommunications Center with funds provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This is NPR, National Public Radio.